Hey, this is Jeff Scott Soto from Sons of Apollo, and you're listening to Focus on Metal. You better turn this up and keep it up. Hey, Metalhead, Scott Thompson here. Welcome you to the final episode of Focus on Metal for 2017. Can you believe it? I think the year has just flown by, but uh, we're going to go out strong for the year with a double header this week. We'll be uh, having chats with Jeff Scott Soto about the brand new debut release from Sons of Apollo, as well as a chat with guitarist Stuart Smith from the band Heaven and Earth talking about their brand new release, Hard to Kill. So lots of good stuff for you this week. In fact, so much so that uh, I have to tell you that uh, for those of you who are listening to us on internet radio, on a station where we only get an hour time slot, then uh, you will be missing a bit of the stuff this week because we, uh, we have definitely well over an hour's worth of good stuff between what Jeff and Stuart have to talk about. And of course, just a reminder that after this episode, we'll be doing our annual winter break that's right richie and i will be kicking back and relaxing for uh for the month of january come back and hit you strong in february so uh you know good news we're finishing up 2017 strong with uh, with jeff and Stuart. and the bad news is that uh no we did not finish the kerrang project within 2017 Richie came out with uh, some great audio, some last-minute interviews, but uh, just were not able to fit it in within the schedule for 2017. So those will be waiting to be queued up for you for 2018. So some good stuff to uh, to look forward to then. And I know that especially the one that Richie just did, he is absolutely looking forward to everybody hearing that one. Some great stories that were related to it, and uh, we just can't wait to bring you that. But you're going to have to wait until February to hear it. But as I said, lots of great stuff this week. So why don't we just get right into it? So our first out of the gate this week is a talk we had with Jeff Scott Soto talking about the brand new Sons of Apollo release, Psychotic Symphony. So first release from these guys and, uh, you know, definitely a killer group, Billy Sheen on bass. And as I said, Jeff Scott Soto on vocals, Derek Sherinian on keys, Mike Portnoy holding down the drums and then uh, former Focus on Metal guest Ron Bumblefoot Thal on guitar. So just an amazingly killer band. Put out just a, a great album. And, you know, on the surface, you think, oh, geez, this is going to be really proggy. What's going on? But uh, very surprising diving into this one that it really covers a lot of bases brings a lot of stuff together so uh, we'll have some samples from the uh, from the album as we're talking to Jeff today and I definitely would urge you guys to go out and get this one and if you want to find out more about what's going on with the band you can hit them up at sonsofapollo.com also on Facebook facebook.com slash sonsofapollo1 and also on Twitter at uh, Sons of Apollo 1. But uh, right now, why don't we get right into my talk with Jeff Scott Soto from Sons of Apollo. Hi, Jeff Scott Soto calling. Hey, Jeff, thanks for calling in today. How you doing, man? Doing fantastic. Yourself? Not bad, not bad. Uh, except for the uh, freezing cold New England weather, I really can't complain. Um, how about you? Uh, I think uh, you're an L.A. guy, right? Yes, I'm, uh, I'm in Los Angeles. 
Yeah, I figured that was a pretty safe guess that, uh, you know, probably about 80% of the people that we talk to seem to be out in L.A. Yeah. <laughs> I guess there's a reason for that. Have you checked out our weather? Yeah, I know. Very true, very true. But then again, uh, you know, there is something to be said about having four seasons. Uh, there you go. So are you a, a native Californian or was this uh, something like a lot of people that tend to, to go out there to, to have opportunities in, you know, entertainment industry? Well, we moved here when I was eight years old. So that's the reason for me. Los Angeles is home. Um some of the other ones, uh, they are actually moving out. I mean, Derek came out here when it was uh, when it was still flourishing, and the, the actual time was uh, it was a great time to be here. But uh, Billy's just actually recently moved out. He's not here anymore, and and the other two guys in the band uh, they're still on the, the East Coast. So it's just Derek and I. We're the we're the ones holding down the floor here. But yeah, there's a, there's a lot of people actually getting out of here finally, and it's probably a testament to what you're talking about. Maybe as we get older, we're looking for. Uh, our serenity elsewhere where you don't necessarily get that in LA. This is more of a, a place to be because of what you do for a living kind of thing. Yeah. You know, there are more and more people that we do talk to lately that are moving to like to Nashville and, you know, kind of quieter things. I don't know if it was the whole thing that Michael Wagner moved to Nashville and everybody followed him, but that definitely seems to be kind of a, a new place where we talk to a, to a lot of people lately. Yeah. And Austin is another one. A lot of people are heading down to that. They want the same climate. They say the same kind of weather. Uh, others want seasons again. And others basically just say, yeah, you know what? I was only there for, uh, for work purposes and it's not for me anymore. And they, they head out. But I still love it. To me, this is always home. I've lived in numerous places through the years, including in London. And I always end up back in L.A. Well, uh, can't say that I completely blame you on that one. But uh, we got lots to talk about today. I know you got limited time. So what do you think? You uh, ready to dive into it? Sure. All right. Well, obviously, the uh, the main topic of discussion today is the uh, debut release of Sons of Apollo with Psychotic Symphony. And I think that maybe, you know, it's taken a lot of people by surprise because people are used to associating you with more of the, the melodic side of hard rock or, you know, just even heavy rock and, and that type of thing. But, but not so much with Prague and kind of a Prague influenced hard rock. Is that something that uh, you had in the past as kind of an influencer or what? And, you know, perhaps even more to the point, were you, uh, were you ever, you know, really into the 800 pound gorilla in the room here? Uh, that being uh, Mike Portnoy's former band Dream Theater. Um, I think the only two bands that I actually listened to in that world were Rush and. Yeah, you know what's going to take me a while to find a second. Kansas is the closest to progressive rock that I could imagine that I listened to. I was not a fan at all. Not, not that I'm not a fan, but it's just I never really followed it. Um, and I and it's gonna it's gonna crush the hearts of Dream Theater fans. I only know one song from that band. I know the song "Pull Me Under." I'm, I'm a huge fan of Mike Portnoy's, but I'm, I was never a fan of Dream Theater's music because I never really gave it a chance. I was so busy with everything else in my life and all the other great music that I was influenced by, I never truly sat and gave Dream Theater a chance, which I'm now doing. I'm, I'm actually going back into the back catalog just to be, I want to be familiar with everybody, everybody's past work of the people I'm working with here. So given their, you know, more or less vast catalog of releases, was there a, was there a starting point for where you were diving into, uh, into delving into the, uh, the past of, of Mike and I guess also to appoint uh, Derek as well? Well, it's, it's absolutely the, uh, the, <laughs> what he did with Derek, the Infinity one. That's that's the one I that's the one I started with that actually because I know it's going to be a huge amount of work to listen to and I I'm still working in other things and still kind of chiseling out my own sessions in my own life that I have to kind of be aware of but I want to be aware of Dream Theater's material I'm starting with that album and I'll work my way across them 
Well, I guess that you know it does sound like a logical starting point, right? It's the only uh, it's the only studio album to feature Derek, and uh, you know, so you got Derek and you got Mike on there. But uh, I think it's also a you know kind of a little different than the rest of their catalog, at least as far as uh, you know overall direction and feel. Yeah, I, I heard all the stories behind that one, and and even the the fact that they were. They were a bit missed with the fact that they had to try to be more radio friendly and all that, but I, it still sounds like Dream Theater to me. It didn't sound like something that they had to contrive themselves into something that they weren't initially uh, about. All right. Well, before we go down the uh, the Dream Theater rabbit hole, we got to remember that we're here to talk about about Sons of Apollo and Psychotic Symphony. Obviously, you know, debut album and all that. You know, an amazing cast of musicians for this one. Guys who are always, you know, you you look at the number of projects and things that they're doing. It's it's pretty outstanding. And have, do you have a you know like a lot of past history with these guys going into the band? I've known Billy Sheen for the better part of thirty two years. Um, he was in a band. He had a band called Talus. That opened up for Ingray when I was when I did my first Ingray tour in 1985, just before he joined David Lee Roth. So I've known Billy Sheen since 1985, which is quite a long time. Um, second in line there, I, I would imagine would be Derek. I've, I've come across and fall into a lot of the same circles as Derek, but we were only acquaintances. We never worked together. We we've only known of each other. He he has short stint with Ingray, and one of his best friends is Al Petrelli, who I work with every year with the Trans Siberian Orchestra. So Derek's name and, and image and likeness has dropped in front of me for so many years, but we, this is the first time we actually work together. And kind of the same goes for Mike Portnoy. We've known each other through the business and through each other's work, but we never actually played together. We never actually shared a stage together until last year when my band Soto opened up for Winery Dogs in South America, which I think was the uh, antithesis to bringing me into this band, into this project, uh, into Sons of Apollo. So, uh, Bumblefoot is the last in line. I met him this year on a, on a rock cruise. And again, I've known of him. I've known of his work and GNR and his own solo stuff. But, uh, I just met the guy for the first time this year. Yeah, Ron is definitely a pretty cool dude. We've had him on the show earlier this year. You know, great to talk to. I've always liked him as a musician. Really eclectic stuff he's put out as solo releases. Super talented guitarist. You know, always doing things his own way. Speaking of, you know, doing things his own way, you know, I kind of think that, uh, or at least I've heard that that Mike Portnoy seemed to be kind of the, the engine room behind getting all this together. Is that true? It was certainly Mike, yeah. This was Mike's brainstorm and, and this entire lineup the cast of characters in here was was his responsibility, and he knew who who he wanted to work with, and he told Derek, "Listen, on the creative side, we're going to do this together as a band, but on the other the other end of the spectrum, on the business end, I'm going to choose who who's going to be here, and I'm going to look oversee the artwork." Mike Mike's got a lot of he's in his hands in a lot of projects, a lot of cookie jars. Yeah, just a few. For him to want to do something like this from the from the ground up again. He had to make sure he was the controlling factor of getting who was going to be there and how we're going to go about certain things. And I was fine with that because as far as I was concerned, I just want to do an album with Mike and Billy. That was kind of like on my bucket list. So if he wants to take this end of it and run with it, I'm more than happy with it because I'm just the same. I'm so busy with other things. The last thing I want to do is dive into something where I have to, oh, who's going to do the artwork? Why does, does the font of this, the uh, the logo doesn't look right? Oh, the video cut's not this. I just want to actually do my job, 
and sit back and let somebody else take care, take care of the controlling side of things. So it's interesting, you know, when you talk about, you know, Mike kind of being in the driver's seat and, and kind of having a vision and putting all this together, you know, the fact that you're really not known as, as a progressive singer and you kind of have this whole other, you know, avenue of stuff you've been going down and the fact that, you know, Mike's trying to build this new prog thing up. And it's interesting that he chose you uh, t- to actually be the guy fronting it. I think Mike knew that I could, I could tap into that side of things, even though that wasn't my, this is not my forte. I, I think they initially didn't want somebody who was already in that avenue that was already known for that world because then it was just kind of put the band in that category. And I think at this point we have transcended away from just being a prog band. I think having me at my path and what I can put into the situation gave more of a hard rock, classic rock uh, metal side of things as opposed to me being a prog singer and into a new prog band. And I, I think, and the same with Bumblefoot, I think those elements of what we brought to the table took it out of just being another prog band or just being like a super group prog band. Nice. And you know, it's interesting you talk about that, that it's not just the progressive, but you really have that hard rock metal classic thing in there. And, you know, initially when you looked at, you know, with Mike and Derek and stuff and you, you I was just expecting pure prog, but yeah, to actually have that other stuff injected and infused in those songs. I was pretty surprised when I heard it. So was I. <laughs> The other cool thing is that it just sounds really organic as well. It has a really live feel. It sounds like, you know, a bunch of guys playing off of each other. And it doesn't sound like a project. It doesn't sound like a bunch of file trading. It just has a really cool vibe to it. Yeah, it's and the best part of it, and probably the most important part of it, aside of the fact that this is a real band, this is not just a project, is that everybody's egos were checked at the door. Everybody realizes where they come from. Their pedigree is so strong and what they could bring to the table. But in focusing on what we are actually trying to accomplish here, it was a band effort. I know what I could have done if you just sent me the files, I listened to the songs, and I could write and, and mold and craft something that would actually come across as killer. But that wasn't how we did it with this because the only way for it to sound like us is if we do it together, and that's exactly how we did it. Those guys did the music in together, and then Mike and Derek and I got together and did the vocal end of things. And that's why it sounds like us as opposed to sounding like individuals coming together as trying to be one. So you talk about, you know, working with with, uh, with Derek and with uh, Mike on, on the lyrics and stuff, and this must have been kind of a an interesting time for you, you know, as far as the the lyrics. Did you have any kind of uh, difficulties or, you know, feeling like you needed to change your approach to lyrics because of the, uh, just kind of the overall content of the band? Uh, in the very beginning, before we actually got together and started doing things as a, as a unit, it was, I, I was overthinking things quite a bit. It's... Uh, I was thinking, first of all, I've never been in a prog situation, so I guess I better start rushing on, on my Isaac Asimov novels. Like, I know how to write about outer space and, and, and sci-fi fantasy situations. That's the last thing they wanted, and thankfully so, because that's not my forte. Uh, so, again, as I was thinking too, too much into it, I was, I was kind of coming up with things that I guess they sounded a bit forced, and the guy's like, Jeff, you're in this because you have something to offer that's not that. And that's we, we want you to be you. And once I realized that, I was able to dive into the, the lyrics and melody end of, of things a, a lot more as if I would have written it myself. So, you know, obviously you're playing with these, you know, these key players that can just do all kinds of crazy stuff, you know, 
I've seen, you know, Mike and Billy out there playing before, like on G3 and stuff, and the amount of interplay they can do, and the stuff that Derek brings, and then even, you know, Ron coming in there, and you can do some crazy guitar work as well. But, you know, all of that when you're trying to sing on top of it is is tough, and, you know, it all sounds good in the end, but during the writing process, well, were there ever any kind of concessions made to the fact of, you know, you need to have a lyric and a melody carrying here, or, or you know, any kind of, of things that needed to come between you know, what you needed to do as a vocalist and what they needed to do as musicians? No, they were very good with knowing where the vocals were going to be uh, laid on or laid in and where I was basically just going to be getting a cup of coffee while they were going to do their thing. Um, they pretty much kept any of the sections that I'm going to be singing on straight, so therefore I could concentrate on giving you the hook, giving you something to sink your teeth into, but also something that doesn't complicate it too much where... It's you have to be a mathematician to actually be able to listen to. They saved all that for the instrumental side of things, and I think they found a great balance between the two. When you when I'm singing, you're it, it sounds like a, a traditional standard kick you in the head, slap you in the in the face kind of tune, and then they take you to another place where they get to show their chops, and then they always take it back home where I, I can finish it off with the original melody. And, I, and they did a, a great job of that, and but also giving me. Uh, kind of a map when they would send me songs. This is where the verses. This would, I guess, this would be a chorus, that kind of thing. And so it made my job a little, a little easier in the sense of trying to guess where I'm supposed to be singing. There was only one song. Um, there was that we. I, I had a pre-chorus. Let's see. I think it was. Uh, I think it was signs of the time. We had a we had different chords underneath the pre-chorus, and what I came up with vocally, there was a rub. I was singing notes that were in a different mode than the chords that were being played underneath. They found the melody was stronger than the chords. Instead of adapting, I tried singing new notes, the same parts over the chords that were there, and it sounded too wonky. So they liked the part that I came up with, so they had to change the chords underneath. Other than that. I, I just did everything based on what they sent me. It was kind of an easy process. I'm used to that. I'm used to coming up with things after the fact instead of sitting in a room saying, well, can you do this chord because this this vocal would sing better over that. So, you know, did you overall, did you like or, or more so dislike this this collaborative effort in developing, uh, you know, the lyrical and, and the melodic content? Kind of in between because, again, doing it as a unit, doing it as a band, and doing it together is that was a, a new process for me. I'm, I haven't been used to doing a, a situation like that in a long, long time. I'm used to even my my band Soto. I mean, I get final say in what, what I'm creating vocally, melodically. Um, I might get hints or ideas from the other guys, which I'll utilize. But it, it's never been nope. That's I don't think that's strong enough. I think we need to come up with something better. And that was that took a bit getting used to because again, I have a very strong sense from the three decades that I've been singing and writing of what, what should go over a song. But again, I, le I left that ego at the door. Instead of saying, nope, this sounds good to me, we got to keep it, and insisting, I was very open to what the guys had in mind, and, and we, we, we crafted it and honed into these songs uh, just because they needed to sound like us. 
instead of sounding like a, just a Jeff Scott Soto album or a Mike Portnoy album. The only way we're going to make it sound like us is if we all contributed. Nice. So let's uh, let's dive into a few of the tracks on the album and just talk a little bit about those for a minute and kind of a, a Jeff Scott Soto kind of focus. So having to listen to track number four on here, uh, Labyrinth, you know, listening to that, and it's almost like a Jeff Scott Soto tour de force of uh, various things, you know, ranges and tones and everything else. That, uh, that you're doing with your voice on that. Was that easy to do that track? You know, both in the aspects of coming up with the melodies and all that, but also just the actual recording all of the vocalizations on there. Um, it's not that I wouldn't find it easy. It's more that I love having something where I can utilize all the different levels and colors of my voice. And that certainly is one of those songs because it's all over the map. And I don't look at it as easy. I look at it as utilizing. And I'm very, I was very pleased to know that we could do soft to heavy to a melodic to kind of weird and sci-fi sounding. And it, it gave, it really gave me a chance to just go into different territories with that. With, with what I can do with my voice. Yeah, definitely awesome, awesome job on uh, on vocals on that puppy. Uh, you know, another song that's really a standout is the second to last track, a "Divine Addiction," and partly because it. It, it really has a different feel to that, and, and it's it's got this really cool, like, old-school, reminds me a lot of a purple vibe, but then also with some of the other backing vocals weaving in and out of there as well, and it just, it has another, its own little, you know, thing in there as well, but it's definitely got a, a cool, uh, cool hard rock feel to that one. Now, would that have been a track that you heard the music and really locked right into the vocals, or, or was this more of a, one of these ones as well where there was uh, some collaboration going on to uh, to get things to come out on the other side right and yeah that was again that was another one when we were originally writing i was overthinking and i was because it's more of a simple purplish kind of song i was trying to do something way left field thinking okay they're doing something simple but if i do something complicated it'll kind of balance it out and they said that's a little too complicated we need to simplify and the chorus was more in your face and more it was more of a commercial vibe that came out in the end and again, that's that's exactly what I was talking about. If I'd done it on my own, it would have been completely different. But the fact that we simplified it and made it sound like that, it still works for the record.
So I thought that another one of the standout tracks on the album was the track Signs of the Time. And uh, partly because it's it's got that really cool Bumblefoot guitar vibe that's in there. And, uh, you know, as soon as you hear that vibe, you're like, oh, that's Bumblefoot. But also, again, as we're kind of focusing in on, on what you brought into the whole table for Sons of Apollo, is that it's got this really cool vocal line as well. And in a little bit, it reminds me a bit of, of some Alice in Chains where, um, you know, back in the, in the day, you'd have Jerry and Lane singing together. And it was not quite the double thing, but, you know, like two different tones, two different octaves singing against each other. And it just made this really thick sound. So were you intentionally going for that huge vocal sound on here? Or was it more something that uh, came together during, you know, production and mix? Um, that, that was my idea. But overall, and even in, I, I've never been a fan of double tracking when I'm singing choruses or singing lead. There's a lot of people that rely on it because it's they they can't sing too too well just by themselves. So they'll double track it and and it kind of pitch corrects some of the mistakes. And people make a living on that. I'm not a fan of it because my voice is very thick and rich. And when you start doubling it, it starts sounding like a choir, even with just two voices. But the octave thing, that's that's something I've been doing for a while. I, I absolutely enjoy how that sounds, especially if my main melody, it's down an octave too low, and it just it might sound kind of empty by itself. Putting that up, it just colors it up a little bit. guys in the band are all you know they're crazy busy you guys are all doing all kinds of stuff you know i think mike portnoy is just constantly doing stuff he's been doing stuff for the metal allegiance lately and you know he's always got things going on and 
And I know typically he does a lot of the press for whatever he's doing. And, uh, you know, you're obviously doing a bunch for this one. And I know at the same time, you're also trying to do press for your brand new Soto album, Retribution, as well. So who do you think's having the, the hardest press time right now? Mine is worse because the, the two albums are 20 days apart. I mean, it, it, and again, that wasn't by, de- by design. That was a complete accident on uh, on the on the release scheduling. And I think there was a minor discussion on, well, maybe one of us should change it and then Obviously, neither party wants to change the release date. They, everybody's got their ideas and plans on how they're going to be scheduling their releases. So we just said, you know, we're just going to work through it. And I think the other person that's dealing with that right now is George Lynch. With the, He's got this uh, Lynch and Sweet on one label, and he's got the Lynch Mob on another label. And uh, So he's making it work. I don't think it's a problem. Of course, I have to remember what I'm promoting and what I'm talking about. But then again, I, I get asked about both, so I, I talk about both. So with this current cycle, and like you said, you know, with the albums being 20 days apart, do you ever get on a call and be like, oh, crap, which album am I talking about right now? You know, because, you know, obviously a venue like us, we're willing to talk about both because our listeners are interested in both. But then obviously you have other like, you know, radio outlet or whatever that might be really particular and they only want to talk about the one thing. And you almost have to pretend the other one isn't happening. So is, uh, is it hard to like remembering which thing you're talking about, which days? Yeah, but yes and no. I mean, we, we've been doing this for so long. We, we've kind of we've got a grip on exactly how to handle it and how to handle ourselves. Um, it's it's not an issue. I don't think it's an issue at all. It might get confusing as to what the certain interviews about. If, if you, luckily they they separate them. I don't I don't ever have combined days where I'm doing uh, interviews for Retribution and doing interviews for Sons of Apollo. I usually get one day of just the either or. So, you know, one of the criticisms that gets leveled at, you know, like so-called super groups, and especially lately with some of these project things, and, you know, you've obviously stated about the fact this is, in fact, not a project. This is a band, and, it, you know, it definitely sounds that way as well. But uh, one of the things that always gets leveled is is about touring, because obviously people get busy, and you can't really sync up, and you can't really make it happen because you're doing a million things. But uh, what's the touring outlook for uh, for Sons of Apollo? One of these uh, contingencies in saying yes to this, and they told me, Initially, before while they were asking me to be a part of this, they said this is not a just a fly-by-night project. We're going to throw it out there. If it sticks, we're going to follow through with it. This is a real band, and we need we need commitment from you that once this thing is out, especially in 2018, that you can put everything aside because Southern Apollo will be touring the world and then some. We're, we're, we're talking about doubling around the, the entire world with the with a world tour with uh, Southern Apollo in 2018. I told them I would absolutely give them this commitment without even hearing one note. And so that's how important it is to me, as important it is to them, that everybody knows that this is a real band. If we sold two copies tomorrow, we're we're still going to go back in and we're going to attempt this and we're going to keep pushing this thing because we really believe in it. Excellent, excellent. Because, you know, it definitely, you know, like I said, there's been a lot of backlash about this just you know, labels putting things together and people get excited about it and they start to support it, but they really want to see it live. And I think more and more, it's just more important to, to get out there live, let people see it and hear it and, you know, feel it and all of that. So, you know, it's really refreshing to hear you talk about the fact that you committed to this level of engagement, even before you heard a note and that you guys are committed to just keep this going as well. And, you know, not just keep it going, but also keep it going recorded and live. I couldn't agree more. And believe me, if, if it was just a project, we would have sold it as just that. And I probably wouldn't even be doing interviews for it. It would be a Mike and Derek project that they were talking about. It would just kind of get out there and they'd sell 
four or five thousand copies and we call it a day. But with this, we're we're putting everything and anything we can to show people this is a true band. Um, every time we have gotten together, it feels like a band doesn't feel like it's somebody somebody's project or somebody else's baby. We 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 get along like gangbusters. Like we've been together for many years, so I love the initial. Uh, chemistry that we've created here, both musically and, and personally. So kind of a total oddball question, but uh, is it true that you had some involvement with uh, with Saigon Kick and maybe contributing some vocals to uh, to albums? The very first one. I sing background on two songs. Um, uh, I think this one of them is My Life. I'm singing cor- on the chorus, the big, the big uh, gang chorus. And, uh, oh, geez, I'm trying to remember what the other one was. Yeah, I think it might have even been three songs, but I know it was two for sure on the first album. So was that like a label or producer decision to bring you in to, uh, to help out on that? No, Jason Beeler. Um, uh, Jason's one of my dear friends since 1988. I was I was looking, I was trying to look into doing a solo project, and I was looking for guitar players, and I it was Tom Defile that I checked out first, the bass player of Saigon King, just before the band was together. And uh, Tom didn't work out as a bass player, but he was playing me tunes that he'd been working on back in Florida with uh, with Jason Beeler. And he said, you, know, you should check out this guy. He's, I think he's only like 19 years old, but since I was young as well, I, I thought, God, this guy's an incredible guitar player. I flew him out. We became friends. The solo thing didn't fall through, but the, the band Talisman that I started in Sweden did go through. And the guitar player that played on the first album had stage fright, so we needed somebody to tour. Uh, Jason Beeler was our touring guitar player immediately. I, I brought that kid in, and he was fantastic. He came back to the U.S. with the bug that i got to get serious and get this thing together, and uh, Saigon Kick was that thing. So I know over the summer there was a little uh, a little social media sparring, or I, don't, I guess I can't call it sparring because, uh, you know, Ingve says one thing, and you just kind of respond back, and, and you were done with it, so I really can't call it sparring. But, you know, the fact that he was talking, you know, kind of uh, – kind of down the nose at some of the some great singers he worked with in the past and you know i liked your comments back about all of that and stuff but uh you know you think that was necessary and you know is that just kind of a, oh i haven't done anything lately so i think i'm gonna just stir up some uh, some publicity for myself or you know just you know get your thoughts now you know six months later he you know what the reason why i i was you'll understand this term i was kind of taking the piss from what he said is because I knew what he was saying or what he was trying to say got a bit convoluted. He was being asked about working with certain singers and he kind of, I, from how I read it and knowing him, he got diverted from whatever, whatever situations have gone on between us and, and the other guys in the past years, it kind of got diverted into I'm, I'm the creating force. I wrote every lyric, every, every uh, melody, and so I should sing it myself. And yes, he has been doing it the past, say, 20 some odd years. Because he's been doing that for so long, I think he forgot that we were strong contributors back then, especially Joe Lynn. He co-wrote everything that he sang on on that album that he did with Ingve. And I co-wrote some of what I did. I'd say about half of what I did. But he doesn't remember that. He he just he remembers the past 20 years and just he's equating it to his entire career. So, of course, that's why my retort was it was more of a sarcastic taking the piss as opposed to being angry and looking like I was bothered. I wasn't bothered at all by it. That's why I let it go when there was another uh, retraction here and there. I just, I said, I don't want to get involved in this, this whole piss take thing. I said what I did just to, just to kind of 
make it known that I actually did read it, and I walked away from it. Well, I don't think anyone can accuse you of uh, handling that whole situation badly, and I'm sure that uh, other folks probably would have. You know, it's just too bad that sometimes some of this stuff is uh, is you know goes the way it does. But it, it's nice to hear your explanation and and your thoughts about it as well. And uh, I guess that kind of frames it a little bit differently. It's always good to hear you know someone talk about it and, and talk through that as opposed to just hearing, you know, stuff on, on Blabbermouth or Facebook or Twitter or whatever. I think it was just him speaking. If, if he, when he, when somebody asked him a question, I think he just kind of gave a long with an answer that, that got diverted and just got convoluted and didn't even realize what he said until after the fact, until it actually blew up in his face. So uh, before I let you out of here, would you uh, you want to just run down all of the various places on on social media? Now that we just finished crapping on social media, but all, all the uh, all the places on social media where they can find out about what's going on with Jeff Scott Soto or with Sons of Apollo or you know all that good stuff. Sure, it's uh, well on my personal it's just jeffscottsoto dot com or Facebook dot com slash jeffscottsoto, and on Facebook we got the Sons of Apollo. I, I believe it's uh, facebook.com slash Sons of Apollo 1. There was a Sons of Apollo already taken, so we threw the one in there for good measure. And there was a sonsofapollo.com site. And, yes, you're, you, without even looking at our sites, you're going to hear a lot of noise from this band. Excellent. I definitely can't wait to hear what else you guys have in store for us. Uh, you know, really enjoyed this album. I absolutely enjoyed it. Thanks so much. And, you know, as I said earlier, too, the fact, you know, I expected it to kind of just be one way and be really proggy and all that. But, I mean, it hits everything else. It's like it's got, it's got the classic rock stuff going in there. And, you know, like we mentioned about talk about like the purple feel and it's got some of the hard rock stuff in there and it's got the melodic stuff. And it's it just like I said, it was uh, just a really nice surprise expecting one thing, putting it on and just having all these other flavors in there as well, these tones and dimensions and all that. And I think you guys have uh, just really stepped it up with the. Uh, with an expectation with this band, uh, and that's that was important to us. I'm glad you hear what we we went after here, and and it's again we we transcended the whole prog thing. I think we've tapped into being able to to please a lot of people within the rock arena, and and I just hope it comes across that way. Yeah, I hope so too. And if uh, if they don't doesn't come across that way, sitting there listening to the CD, then I uh, hope that it definitely comes across that way when people go and see you live. But uh, thanks for taking time today to talk to us here on Focus on Metal. And uh, yeah, definitely, I for one am hoping to uh, to catch you guys out on the road. Cheers, my friend. Same to you, Jeff. And hopefully, we'll be able to uh, get hooked up on the uh, the promo schedule, and I can talk to you again about uh, about Retribution. Fabulous. All right, man. We'll have a great rest of the day, and uh, like I said, hopefully, talk to you again soon. Later. Okay, bye-bye. There you go, our chat with Jeff Scott Soto talking about the brand new Sons of Apollo release, Psychotic Symphony. And hopefully in the not-too-distant future, we'll have Jeff back on the show again talking about his own brand new release, Retribution. But before we uh, before we get out of Sons of Apollo land, I'm, I'm really digging this release, and I just figure I got to play a little bit of one more cut. This one's called Coming Home. I think this was the uh, first video they put out, so it might have been the uh, first exposure that a lot of people had to the band but uh, all together I think it announced them very well it's got a lot of the elements you're going to find on this disc including more uh, more great vocals from Jeff Scott Soto
So up next, we have a chat that Richie did with uh, Stuart Smith of the band Heaven and Earth. So for those of you unfamiliar with the band, the guys have been around for a, for a bit now, and this is actually their uh, their fourth studio album. These guys are based out of L.A. It includes uh, Joe Retta on lead vocals, and of course Stuart Smith, our guest this week on guitar, Lynn Sorensen on bass, drummer extraordinaire Kenny Arnoff on drums, and uh, also keyboardist Ty Bailey. And these guys are definitely uh, bringing back that deep purple hard rock vibe, and it's just a it's a little bit varied on here as well but overall that's kind of the vibe to expect from these guys and of course the album is littered with some really cool riffs from Stuart. if you want to find out more about heaven and earth you can go to a facebook facebook.com slash official heaven and earth they're also on twitter at heaven earth band so with that why don't we turn it over to richie as he talks to Stuart smith about heaven and earth's brand new one Hard to kill. Hey, that's much better. Oh yeah, tons better. <laughs> yeah. So where, where are you? You on the west coast? Hello. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. Can yeah. you hear me? Yeah, yeah. I can hear you now. You on the west coast, George? Are you? Yeah, yeah. Just, uh, just, get, just getting up here. Having my morning coffee. Okay. Yeah. So it's morning to you. Yeah. I'm just outside yeah, of Boston. Where, are you? where, where, where just, are you? I'm just outside of Boston. Oh, okay. So uh, uh, yeah. We just sit around there lately and it's freezing. Yeah, well, I've, I've just stepped in from my lunchtime and work here. I'm, I'm in the car and um, it is lashing rain. <laughs> it's horrible. Uh, I'm shot in a t-shirt by the swimming pool. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> just, to, just to dig in the eye. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. My, my, my neighbor across the street, they're Irish. Okay. And, um, some, so Paddy's Day, he puts up his his Irish flag, so I put up the British flag. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he said, he said next time we'll have to, and next time we'll have to put a few burnt out cars in the street. <laughs> oh no, that's Northern Ireland. That's all gone. That's all gone. <laughs> I know, I know. But it, the funny thing was, is uh, my mother for um, uh, her birthday wanted a DNA kit. So I got her one, and she got me one, and I got it, and I came back, came back, and I'm 36 percent Irish. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> so I, I told I told my friend Podrick across the street, and he he, he never lets me forget it now. That's the one thing about the Irish, Stuart. We are everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. He told me a ton of jokes about that. Yeah, yeah. Oh boy. So I'm. I'll be honest with you. I am really new to the band. Um, so a lot of the questions I'm probably going to be asking are pretty general. So if, if that's okay with you, yeah, whatever, whatever you you feel you want to ask. Yeah. Okay. So um, do you want to get right into it? Sure. Yeah. So so Stuart, I'm I'm new to the band. I've I've only really heard the new album Hard to Kill, but when you go online, I, I see that there's a long history there with with the band. Can you, can you just give me a brief rundown of that? Oh boy! Well, uh, it's it's back in about I think ninety four, ninety five. Um, uh, I got offered a deal by Samsung, the Korean electronics giant, and I didn't have a band at the time. Uh, so I just I called everybody I knew, and the first the first person they called to was Richie Sambora. At the time, I was married to Colleen Locklear, I had the Locklear sister, and uh, Richie is my brother in law. And I called him and I said, hey, would you uh, be willing to sing a couple of tracks on, a, on this solo album? Uh, 
And he said, yeah, sing. No one ever asked me to sing. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, he ended up playing on it as well. And then uh, I called Jill Lynn Turner. And then uh, after that, it, and Kelly Hansen, uh, this is before he, he had got the gig with Foreigner. And then after that, it was a domino effect. Everyone sort of wanted to be on it. So I just... Uh, We'd have we'd have people just uh, we'd be there we would be at the uh, at the studio and uh, when the bars closed in LA everyone would sort of turn up at the studio because they knew we had booze and they could keep drinking <laughs> and so uh, a lot of sessions that were, were there were a lot of fun on that first album um, and uh, that uh, that went down it sort of established a sort of underground following. And Frontiers offered me a deal for another album, which we did with Kelly Keeling singing. Mm-hmm. Um, we then brought out an EP, but that sort of, it was just a, a thing to sell at a festival that we were doing. And then uh, I, um, I put uh, Heaven and Earth on hide. We had to, we were out and touring and we had Kelly Hansen and it was, it was starting to take off, but of, uh, of course Kelly got the job with Foreigner and he couldn't turn that down. So he, um, uh, obviously went to that and I, I couldn't find the right singer to replace him so um, I uh, and then put it on hiatus for a while and Steve Priest called me up and said if I, if I wanted to get the, uh, the the suite together with him I did and we brought in Joe Retta who I'd heard around town and thought was an amazing singer and uh, we got offered a deal with that with uh, uh, the head of my record company Bruce, at the moment, Bruce Quarter, the head of Bruce of uh, Quarter Valley Records. Yeah. And uh, um, but uh, well, Steve Priest didn't want to do another album. He just really had uh, been too lazy to go over to the studio every day. So um, Bruce said, "Why don't you do another Heaven and Earth album?" Um, which so we said, he said, "I'd much rather you did." So we, I put put everyone together. We got uh, 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 Joe and Joe and I already were working on sort of original material, and uh, brought in Chuck Rye, Alan Shirebaum, and Richie Onori, and uh, we did the Dig album and on Quarter Valley Records, and then we toured Europe on that. And uh, then Bruce said, said, "Well, we better do another album." So. And it's we uh, ended up with the uh, the uh, hard to kill. Yeah. Now, now, was the original intent to have uh, a stable lineup in the beginning? Yeah, always. I, I would have done if I had a band at the time. I got offered the solo deal. I'd have done it as a band. Yeah. Um, but I mean, the, the, just the fact that uh, we had all these names on sort of did really help establish sort of the the name out there because it, all the fans of these various artists who did an amazing job on the first album. Um, they, they, their fans sort of got the album and it was before, before the days of, you know, bootleg piracy and CD and the internet and everything. And uh, so it did really well. Yeah, it must have been amazing in the beginning to have these guys actually come into the studio because now all this is done online. Like the guys are all over the world doing it. And you were actually able to get them in the same room. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's because of the booze at the studio. I think. <laughs> <laughs> it was like an old speakeasy. I mean, literally everyone after, you know, in the days of Prohibition, after after all the bars had closed, they'd come by and they'd know we, they'd always be welcome and there'd be booze. And they'd, sometimes we'd just be hanging around and and we'd say, hey, we need to, we need to, a load of you for your backup vocals, get in there. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm just looking at all the names of the guys you worked with. Like, like you mentioned Chuck Wright. Like, he's an amazing musician. Like, he's he's playing with Quiet Riot now, but he's played with House of Lords, with Greg Jafria and these guys. You've had an amazing, you know, musicians play with you. Yeah, the, um, the the great thing about Chuck is um, um, where, when we'd write, I'd, I'd sort of, when I, I write, I sort of sit and play the guitar till like two or three in the morning. And if I come up with a an idea that's um, that's good, I put it on my iPhone. And what I'd do is I'd play all the riffs that I had, the, just like 30 second riffs, and people go, oh, I like that one. So we'd all just work on it. And one of the amazing things about Chuck Wright is he, I'd come up with a riff and he'd sort of instantly know the the part to go along with it. He'd come up a lot, a lot of the times with the sort of, I'd have sort of like the main riff and the verse, and he'd come up with things like the pre-choruses and changeovers and everything. He was very good at that. Yeah, yeah. Now, you had Kelly Hansen in the band, and I, I'm I'm a fan of Kelly from Hurricane. And I'll be honest with you. Well, you you will be. He's Irish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, like, when I listen to the Hurricane albums, I can't put him in Foreigner until I heard him in Foreigner. Like when when he left Heaven and Earth and he went to Farner, did you think he nailed the Lou Graham stuff as well as he has? Oh yeah, you did. Yeah, he's yeah he he's got that range and everything else, and and he's an incredibly hard worker. So he you know worked very hard to get the, the position he's in now. Yeah, yeah. I think I think he's I think he's an amazing singer. He's been with that band now for you know what ten years or more. Yeah, yeah, and, and a great showman as well. Yeah, I've seen him live, and he's he just nails the Lou Graham stuff. It, it really is uncanny. I knew he was a good singer, but Lou Graham is like the cream of the crop when it comes to that that style of music, and he just nails it. Yes, he does. Yeah, it's very good. Yeah, you you still in touch with Kelly at all? Oh yeah, yeah. We see each other every whenever he gets time. It jumps into back in town. He lives just about five minutes away from me, so um, we get together when he's. But he, the foreigner work a lot. Oh, they're always on the road. Yeah, I, I'm, Jeff Pilson, the same thing. He's he's a workaholic as well. He's always on the road with foreigner. Yeah, and Jeff is another great guy. Yeah, he's. Um, I've met him a couple of times. He's. Um, he's always up. He's always in great mood, and you know I've I've spoken to a lot of musicians that he, he's produced, and his, they say his energy in the studio is infectious. Yeah, yeah, he's. Uh, I've never worked with Jeff in the studio, but um, we've jammed together and everything. And you're right, he's he's just a super nice guy, very very up all the time. Yeah, I hate him. <laughs> <laughs> now, now the singer you have in the band now, Joe. How did you find him? In the beginning, who like did you see him by accident, or did someone tell you about him, or how did that all come about? Well, it was it just there's so many sort of jam things going on around town, um, and uh, it was a, a night we did a, a benefit for the victims of Hurricane Katrina at the Key Club, and uh, it was uh, just a load of people and Bobby Kimball, um, Steve Lukather, and Slash, and every everybody. Um, and David Page, and uh, at the end, and they, when they wanted us to come on, Bobby Kimball had sort of disappeared. Then they wanted us to come, as, come on for sort of an encore. Bobby Kimball had disappeared, and uh, they they wanted more. And uh, Joe just said, "I I can see him. I heard him." So we got up with him and did 
which did all right now, I think it was, and a couple of something that maybe superstition or something, and uh, it was he was just great. So um, uh, we we ended up at a few more sort of jam things, and then when it came time to put Sweet together, I took Steve Priest. He was in a, a Queen tribute band, and I went down, took down with Steve Priest to see him, and obviously both of us liked him, and he, we brought him into Sweet. Yeah. Because like he's 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 an absolutely incredible singer. Like he's new to yeah, me. He's, probably, he's new to me. Yeah, he's probably, in my opinion probably the best undiscovered rock singer out there. I, w- I you know what I'd agree. I have to agree with you. He's because I've had before I was even offered the chance to interview you. I had some of my listeners are messaging me saying you have to hear this band Heaven and Earth. The singer's incredible. So when I got sent the album, I put it on, and I'm a sucker for all that seventies bluesy hard rock stuff anyway and what always does it for me is the singer if the singer is really good i'm i'm all in and i'm definitely all in with with this band now amazing stuff well that's great thank you yeah and um you know can i just talk to you a little bit about maybe one or two of the tracks on 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 the album um the hard to kill the title track um how many people have said it sounds like burn It's 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 such a powerful opening song, 
um, and we needed a new one. And uh, so we we did uh, uh, we just started playing it. But basically, I said, "Look, here's the, here's how it goes," and we played it. And uh, and Joe um, retitled it and um, uh, rewrote the ly- new lyrics to it, and that's how it came about. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a really strong opening track, nice up-tempo rock track. Yeah, I always like to open the the, the albums with something powerful. Yeah, uh, the other song I love on the album is uh, The Game Has Changed. Oh yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a funny one. That that's an I the main riff for that I came up with for the last album and it just it was one of the ones that slipped through the cracks and I started playing the the riff when we were writing this album and then Lynn came up with the bass and uh um I was having a conversation with uh Bruce Bruce Squallow, uh which we did every night. We talked for like forty five minutes at the end of the day and I'd send him sort of MP threes and uh we were just having a conversation about the music business and how it's just it's changed. It's uh, the the hot uh, and he said, Yeah, the game has changed. I said, Oh that's a good title for a song. So um uh he said he, he sort of was once he knew we were sort of working on it, he sent a few more lines in uh that um, they got incorporated into the song. And then at the end uh of the uh, at the end of the album, uh we we just about finished and Bruce had heard something with the uh, he said, the, I heard this new song by the Chili Peppers, and it started off with this killer bass, bass sort of line, um, and then it went to the song, which sucked. But uh, he said it'd be great <laughs> to do that. Yeah. And I, I said, Well, let's, uh, let's, uh, so I went through everything and see, saw what we could sort of add to, which one we could sort of safely add, add to, uh, and, uh, and uh, the game has changed. It it fit in perfectly. Yeah. So we just added it, added it on, added it on at the beginning. Yeah. Now, now what, what what change in the music business do you, has surprised you the most? Is there one that stands out to you? Well, it's not a case. I don't think of anything that surprised me. It's just um, once the the the, the, the internet came along and people started sharing uh, sharing music, sort of just. Totally changed the whole game. I mean, uh, you, you you can't make money anymore from selling, you know, CDs. Yeah. Um, I was I was at just uh, a little while ago. I was at uh, a party with uh, with, with and with, with Stephen Tyler, and we just went outside by the pool and sat for a while and were chatting. And uh, and he said, you know, that Aerosmith, who'd normally sell four million. I mean, so like forty thousand. So it's uh, it's uh, it's it's tough. It's just a tough business now. It's tougher than it ever was. Yeah. And there's, and there's too much competition out there. It's, and the the problem is, is with Pro Tools, there's there's too many bands out there that people who do, who just want to be famous. They don't want to actually do the work, so they can't do any of this stuff live. They go in the studio. I went into the studio that our that our producer Dave Jenkins uh, was running, and I heard this band, and they said, "Dave, they're awful." And the next day, I came back, and this is, and I was listening to it, and they sounded great. Of course, they used the computer to put the drums into time, the singer into tune, and everything else. Um, but I mean, there's, there's far too much of that out there now. Yeah, so where does the desire for you now come to make new music? If 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 everything has changed completely and it's really really difficult to do it, 
like why why make music with a band maybe would it be as lucrative for you now to do session work maybe or like you understand the question I'm asking yeah but then I I mean I've always I've always done my own material I've never been in a cover I've never been in the cover band so I just uh, um, oh uh, it was uh, sorry I've got another call coming through sure I'm here. Yeah. So, I was, Taylor Guitars, I've been trying to get in touch with them for a week and they finally call me when I'm doing an interview. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll get them back. Um, but anyway, yeah, we're, uh, uh, sorry, where were we? You, you said you never wanted to be in a cover band. Yeah, I, I was never in a cover band. I, I was, uh, and yeah, I could, I could do session work, but it, I... I want to create music. That's where the fun for me and playing our own stuff. Um, and I still believe that there is a market out there for good, good rock and roll. Good rock and roll. Stephen, like I said, uh, Stephen Tyler and I were at a shooting range just recently, and uh, the Range Master is a friend of mine. And uh, they play sort of really good. It's an open air one, and they play really good classic rock there. And uh, when I when I was there, he started playing some some Heaven and Earth. And Stephen was shooting, and he came up and said, "You know, the only thing wrong with your band is exposure. If you can get this band exposed to enough people, it'll be it'll be huge." Yeah, so that, that's that's where that's sort of that's where we are now. We're in the process of sort of uh, finding the right ways to get on the right tour and everything else. Yeah, what 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 do you think the scene is like for your sort of music in the U.S. now? Um, not as good as Europe. Europe is 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 huge. They have all these festivals and 
uh, especially around Germany and everything. Uh, the States, it's 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 tougher. Yeah. So have you have you got festivals already lined up next year in in, in Europe? No, the management uh, company is meant to be working on all that. Okay. Well, I, I mean, I looked they, on... they, they, they tell us they have. So. Yeah, I was just looking on your website for tour dates. I didn't see any on it. Yeah, no, they're, they're working with agents now because this is the sort of time that they'll be booking next year. We've been doing a few warm-up dates and they've gone down really well. Yeah, I think the best thing over here at this stage is maybe get on a package with three or four bands. I think that's the way to go now. Yeah, it really is. Uh, I mean, if you if if you can't get on a really big tour or something, uh, then um, you know you put these packages together with um, and sort of uh, you know, Jillian Turner and I have been talking about maybe putting something together where we do a West Coast tour with that. But we'll just, we'll see what happens. Obviously, we'd like to get on a um, the record company have some sort of major plans that they're working on, yeah. and uh, we just need to get out in front of big crowds. Yeah, before I, the band's, we've been rehearsing about three times a week. Okay. All, uh, every every week. Okay. So obviously you're all local, then you all live close to each other to be able to do that. Uh, well, Lynn Sorens and our bass player lives in Seattle, and he but it's you know a couple it's an hour and a half plane flight, and he just flies down on the Monday and leaves on the Thursday. Nice, nice. I'm all I'm, one of the things I'm always fascinated about when I'm talking to guitar players. Um, how many guitars do you have in your house? Oh, I don't know. Some about 20 or something. Yeah, it's funny. I, I interviewed um, Rich Ward, who he plays in a band called Fozzy, and about a month or ago, six weeks ago, and the minute I asked him, he was able to say 43. He <laughs> said, said what? He just said 43. He knew exactly how many guitars he had in his house. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, every guitar has a different vibe to it. I mean, uh, I sometimes will stay up late for just playing a Spanish classical guitar, sometimes an acoustic, uh, sometimes electric, and and switch about between different different guitars. I mean, um, Howard Lee said to me, so he, he used to be with Heart, he's now with Bad Company, and Howard said, he, he said, every guitar has a song in it, a uh, song or two in it. And I find that's very true. You you, you pick up uh, the uh, guitar and you start playing, and uh, a, a new guitar or even one you haven't touched for a while, and you find you're playing differently with every guitar. Um, I don't I don't really change guitars on stage at all, but um, as far as uh, um, in the studio, we use lots of different guitars just to just to get different sounds and textures. Yeah. Yeah. Now, before I leave you go, um, I, got, I want to ask you a little bit about Richie Blackmore, but I'm going to ask in a, a, a slightly different way. Um, did you ever talk football with him? Oh, we, yeah, we, we played we played football constantly. Um, when uh, when I was in the uh, um, in England in '83, it was just England sort of uh, sort of very very much full of fashions. So. At the time, everything was dance music and Duran Duran and all this kind of stuff. So, if you're not playing the music that's in fashion, you're basically starved. Because, and Richie had a, it's got Jolin Turner in the band, had a hit with uh, I Surrender, and he came out to, and I went on the tour with him, 
And he just said, well, you should move to the States uh, because it's so big that there's, no matter what sort of music you play, there's always an audience. And rock was still happening at the time. Um, I mean, MTV was just when I moved out to originally in 83 um, uh, to Long Island, uh, where Richie lived. lived. And um, uh, we got a band together out there. And, and he'd help out. It was great he, uh, because uh, he'd, he'd come and play with us. So... We we first started we started playing to sort of like these thousand fifteen hundred seater places because everyone knew that Richie was going to come up with us. Yeah, so, but so he was big into he is massive into football. It is true. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, I went on the we we'd have for a, a game at least at least once a week. Which, um, and we go off uh, when couple did the Perfect Strangers tour. I, I went on part of that with Richie, and uh, wherever we were, we'd either challenge a radio station or um, uh, um, just a, just a, a load of fans out, out after the gig. We'd say, "Hey, any of you play football?" And we said, "Yeah, all right." Um, meet us at this field, get a team together, meet us at this field, and we'd have we'd we'd play all over the place. Yeah, was he any good? Oh, he's very good. Yeah, yeah, he's very good football okay. player. All right, and what about yourself? Like, did, did you get to go back to the UK very, very often anymore? Uh, I, I go back. I, I just went back recently. I've got an eight-year-old daughter who lives with her mother in Chile. Her name's uh, Sophia. Sophia Stormy. I wanted Stormy as her first name, but I got overruled, and the mother called her Sophia. But um, I took her to England to meet my parents and everything else, and uh, and just went back recently. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, England and Ireland are beautiful countries. I mean, it's uh, you, you can't beat the, the sort of the countryside out there, which I really love. Yeah, do you ever think of moving back? No, no, no. I I love the weather here, um, and I've I'm, I've been here so long. I'm, and the, the whole band's established around here. My record company's here, and my, all of my bandmates. I mean, um, it's uh, so no. I'm, this is the, the place uh, I've settled on as home. Yeah. Well, what, so, about, what about watching, like, if you're a football fan, it must be, the games must be on at the crack of dawn out there. Yeah, no, funnily enough, I don't, I don't, watch, I never watched football. I've only been to one football game in my life. That was Manchester United. And I got invited down by the chairman of, um, and it, it was, I, I, it's the same with all, all sports. I, I, I don't really like, Watching sports at all, I, I like I like participating. I do martial arts and uh, love doing that, and hiking up in hills and that kind of thing, and skiing. Um, but uh, no, really, never had a desire to sort of watch sports or become a big follower of a of a uh, um, you know a, a team or anything. Yeah, you're you're probably better off. It can kill you if you get too heavily involved <laughs> in it. <laughs> Yeah, and of course over here you've got American football, which is, I mean, you know, it's like ten seconds of action and two minutes of talking about it. And they're, they're all wearing Kelvar body armor. I say you should go try Europe, go to England and Ireland, and uh, play rugby where you, you don't you don't have helmets and body armor. You just smash into each other. Yeah, and you stay on the field yeah. for the whole game. Yeah, there's no talking about it. It's, it's you just get on with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, Stuart. Before I leave you go, um, do you mind giving out all the social media sites where people got in touch with you or on the band? Yeah, certainly. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I've got uh, there's uh, we have the the main the main uh, page which is uh, www.heavenandearthband.com. The and is spelled, um, and then we have a Facebook page. Uh, there's the um, and uh, Instagram, which I think is uh, hashtag Heaven and Earth and Heaven and Earth Band. Sorry, hashtag Heaven and Earth Band. Um, and Facebook, if they just put in Heaven and Earth, uh, our page will come up. And I also have a private page, which is uh, not a private page, but a, a fan page, which is uh, under Stuart Smith. Nice, nice. Well, I have to say that um, the album's amazing. It's sort of blown me away. I've, it's not very often I get new music sent like this that has like this, you know, this effect on me. I was like, holy crap, how have I never heard of these guys? So, honestly, <laughs> have, you heard, have you heard all the other albums? I have not. I have to go back now and get them. <laughs> yeah, the, the, I think you'll find them interesting. That uh, I, you know, I, 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 I'm sort of, you know, I'm very proud of all of them. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, the first album was a great album. The second, second album was second album was a bit strange. It, it, I look back on it now, and it's it's still. Uh, a good album but we'd sort of built our own recording studio and didn't know what we were really doing and uh, at the time and uh, so it's uh, we don't have a it's not as great sounding as all the other ones that were sort of put together by a professional um, uh, producer yeah yeah because the other thing that can change the sound of a band a lot is the stinger changes and you, you've had a yeah. so yeah well it, it one of the things that is, is tough, I mean, is is with especially singers. I mean, they're in high demand. Um, so if you you find a, a good one and, and you've got nothing sort of going on, which, as I say, it, you know, it's very hard to get a band out there. And um, uh, if you you know, they get offers from other people, and the musicians move around a lot. Um, between bands because it's like I said it, there's there's various bands going on tour and they'll 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 go for the sort of sure thing as the where money wise um, which I don't understand I mean when we recorded gig we had Kenny Arnoff um, and oh, Kenny loves the album wants to do it you know he's contracted to John Fogerty so uh, now we got Steve Wilson. Uh, on um, these with the Dead Kennedys on the on the key, on the drums and an amazing drummer and uh, our keyboard player that did the album was Ty Bailey. Um, just after we finished, he got the the offer from Katy Perry, which is you know, not not exactly a stretch for him talent wise, but I mean just a, an amazing um, uh, gig as far as tra- you know travels everywhere first class and stays all over the world in these amazing hotels. So not like I can blame him for it. Yeah, now Kenny Aronoff. Um I've, I've talked to Michael Sweet he, uh, from Striper and Kenny did a solo album with him and he said Kenny just comes in has all these chops down goes bang 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 and he's out he's done he said he's amazing yeah it's slightly different with us um, I first saw Kenny when he was playing with um, Chickenfoot at the Greek Theatre uh, yeah. and he was just amazing he was the star of the show and I met him afterwards and just said, you know, I introduced myself and got chatting for a while. And I just said, well, it's amazing. And then I was at a bar one night where they have, so there's always various certain 
jams that they have. And um, Kenny was there, and uh, we went to the people organizing the jams and said, hey, we want to play together. And we got up together and did Highway Star. And literally, we got a standing ovation. And I just, at the end of it, I reached over the drum kit and shook his hand and said, we're going to play together sometime. And then, so as soon as this deal came up uh, for the new album, I called Kenny. Um, and uh, he was in. So he actually, uh, rather than just come in, he, he came to the, the house, and uh, my house, and we, when we were doing the writing sessions and uh, was very involved with the whole process. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, that's, so, that's fantastic. Yeah, and now we've got on keyboards, we've got Mike Mangan, who's uh, uh, was with Mike Mangan, who has had Mike Mangan's uh, big organ trio. Okay. And amazing keyboard player. So it's uh, it's sort of a, a permanent lineup as, uh, now, as long as we can you know, keep things rolling. Yeah, well, Stuart, I hope to see you out there. Um, if you come up my neck of the woods, I'm definitely going to go. So hopefully I'll be able to say hello to you. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I look forward. And and uh, yeah, yeah, I've also got a um, there's a, a private Facebook page you can, you can find me on. So if you get in touch with me on that, I can sort of I've got about three or four spaces left. I'm up to the five. I keep getting up to five thousand, and I go through and delete all these pages that have died. So I don't. You know what? I don't know why Facebook does that. Five thousand. I don't know why Facebook does five thousand, and then you're done. I know, I know, which is why we uh, start the the record company have uh, we start sort of a, a fan page. Yeah. Um, so Stuart, I'm going to leave you go. So have a good rest of the day, and the album's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Thank you, and we'll thank do, you, Richard. We'll do our best yeah, to get the word out there for you. Great. Well, thank you, thank you very much. You know, for being out there and keeping the good music alive. There's, it's down to you guys that sort of uh, uh, we rely on to get it out to the fans nowadays. Yeah, we do this off our own back. You know, we've, you know, it's our own money. We do what we put it into it and all that. So I think that's a lot. That's the way a lot of bands get their music out now. The the commercial radio stations just won't play new music. Yeah, they, it's it's funny. They they won't play anything new by anybody. Aerosmith, The Stones, it, they just play the same two hundred songs rotated ad nauseum, and it's just like uh, uh, because some accountant somewhere told them that this is what people our age group want, and it's it's not. I mean, they would love to hear new music by. Um, the established bands, but also uh, by bands like us, and there's bands like us and Sons of Apollo and people that are bringing out great, great sort of melodic hard rock, and uh, it just doesn't get played. There's no out- outlet for it on terrestrial radio. Yeah, it's a pity. It's just all the live show now. I think we're uh, if you're going to make any money now, it's um, it's on tour. Yeah, that's correct. You know, selling merchandising and everything else. As I said, the game has changed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I hope to see you out there anyway, Stuart, and uh, have a good rest of the day. Thanks, Richie, and uh, yeah, keep in touch. I will, I will. All right, take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. There's always
All right, Metalheads, that is a wrap for Richie's Talk with Stuart Smith of Heaven and Earth. And be sure to check out that release, uh, Hard to Kill. A few samples we played for you off of that one, including the one we wrapped up with, a track that Richie actually talked to Stuart about earlier in the interview, Walk Away. So not only is that a wrap for our discussion with Stuart Smith, but also a wrap for Focus on Metal for 2017. That's it. It is our final show of the year, and that means, of course, that we are then on break for the month of January. Recharge the batteries, come back strong in February. So, you know, really appreciate you guys supporting us all through 2017, both on iTunes, on the website, with our radio partners. It's been a great year, and we're hoping that 2018 will also be another great year. Lots of great stuff on your way next year for you guys, including some great stuff with uh, a few more guys from Kerrang! We couldn't quite fit in this year, despite our best efforts. But, uh, you know, it's always hard scheduling guys over in Europe and in the UK. And Richie was able to uh, pull another a couple of interviews for the uh, end of the year. But, uh, hey, we ran out of days and weeks, so it's going to have to push to next year. But, yeah, good stuff. And uh, Richie is definitely, like I said, prime for the one that he just did a few days ago. Some great stories in that one. So looking forward to rolling those out. Uh, Maybe we'll get them both in February. Who knows? So if over the next four weeks you're jonesing for some more Focus on Metal, just to remind you, you can go up to focusonmetal.net, go over to the episodes page, and at this point there's about... Almost seven years worth of episodes up there to choose from. You can peruse our past guests. And if somebody uh, you wanted to hear from is there, you can always download or stream that. So uh, you could still get your uh, focus on metal fix during the break. And, of course, we always invite you to check out a lot of our other buddies that also do shows. You know, the folks at Iron City Rocks, Mars Attacks, Bob Nell Bandian with Shockwaves. And, of course, the Decibel Geek, one-on-one with uh, Mitch LaFawn and Weird Ways. And, of course, I can't forget about our buddies over at Radioactive Metal. So lots of great shows to check out. And if you want to check out those and more, you can always point your browser over to earpeeler.com. And uh, all that stuff will be up there. So you can also check out some other great shows while you're waiting for Focus on Metal to come back strong in 2018. But for this week and this year, that's it. There ain't no more. Stick a fork in it. This one is done. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, until we talk to you again next year, remember... Focus on Metal! Everything else is insignificant. Still here? It's over. Go home.